0: Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm host and audio producer, Stephen Serta. Plenty to get you caught up on today as the Chiefs will take the field once again on Saturday in St. Joseph, Missouri, as they head into an off day on Sunday. But we'll start things off with the Great British Chiefs show. They've got some camp updates as well as a conversation around the running back position. After that, it's the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show discussing their projected 53-man roster early in Chiefs training camp. Then we'll take a quick time out. After that, we will wrap things up with Chiefs coast-to-coast, Coast, just discussing a grab bag of Chiefs topics to keep you caught up on everything that you need to know. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week.
1: It saddens me because I think of all the great running backs the Chiefs have had in the past. Yeah, And whilst I get the argument as to why they are like, so easily disposed of these days. The thought of that ever happening to, like, Priest Holmes or Jamal Charles, the thought of the Chiefs ever doing that to, like, great running backs like that, that's what kind of saddens me. Like, if everyone's talking about you shouldn't pay running backs, but if I had the opportunity to get Prime Jamal Charles and his team for 20 million a year, I absolutely would pay him. <laughs> like, absolutely. That, that's, that's, where, that's where we're at right now. And, but teams just, just don't care. The fact that Dalvin Cook is been let, released by the uh, the Vikings at 27 and now looks like he's going to to the Jets. He looks like he's going to sign with them. By the way, that's a very good addition for them. It is. And you've got uh, Ezekiel Elliott still trying to find a team. It's just mad. The only running Jonathan Taylor asking for a trade. For, that's for a me. bad time
2: for him to do that, isn't it? Don't <laughs> yeah. you
1: think? Yeah, know no, your audience, mate. Know your market, Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> um, but it just, it, I don't know. I, I get it. I mean, I get it because like, Running backs are the most replaceable position in the NFL. At the end of the day, there's very few special running backs that elevate their team, that make them like that much better. And that's the whole argument behind it. There are a few that are like that. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey being probably the biggest name in the league currently. But the the feeling is that as long as you've got good blocking, you've got good scheme, you should be able to give it to anyone at running back, and as long as they don't fumble the ball, then they should be able to do a job. And that's why teams don't want to spend money on running backs because they feel like they have to spend money elsewhere, maybe on their offensive line, for example. But it just seems like so unfair on players to spend their whole life working towards a position and then play really, really well, like become superstars in their teams and then just be like, yeah, actually, no, I don't want to pay you anymore. You're not worth it. Like, what is the correct way now about... Buying, selling, drafting running backs—is it just you draft a running back, you run him into the ground, then you let him go, and you draft another one? Is that is that the formula? Seems to be, doesn't it? I mean, the
2: Chiefs yeah. have already done it, I suppose, with uh, Clyde Edwards, Clyde edwards I mean, they've not picked yeah. up his fifth-year option or whatever. No. Um, it's it just seems to be the part and parcel of the position now. And like you said, you mentioned before, Darvin Cook's been really—I mean, that was a big surprise for me. That. Mm. I didn't think you know somebody of of his caliber would get released um and it's happening more and more around the league um and it it is it is a shame because like you said like you mentioned the the great running backs of the past they oozed respect they demanded Mm -hmm. respect because of you know what they could do with the ball you know um make something out of nothing jamal charles was one of those you know a great player for the chiefs could literally spark a game into life just by you know the the amazing cuts and runs that he used to do and Mm -hmm. To not have that now and to have it as a serviceable position. Um, And it's proof is in the pudding as well, because, you know, since, well, I've found a stat before, uh, since 2014, um, teams, the the actual winners of the Super Bowl, didn't actually overspend at all on running backs. So there was two Mm -hmm. out of 2014, since 2014, there was two running backs that broke the $1 million barrier. And everything else was underneath it, and it's it's crazy to think that. Um, Starting running backs, you mean? Starting running backs, yeah. It's just it's it's crazy to think that teams can just manage without them. Um, But you know, it probably is the the beginning of the era where it's you know all lines or nothing. You know, protect the quarterback, have the passing game. Yeah. um and 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 create that you know lean on that more than anything else yeah um,
1: i think running backs now just have to be they have to be a dual threat they they can't just yeah. be if they want to play more than a couple of downs every uh more than the first two downs if they want to be an every down back you just need to be able to do all three and unfortunately there are very few running backs that can do all three Jared mckinnon's not great with the ball in his hands in terms of a runner but excellent and pass blocker, excellent and pass catch, and then you got Isaiah Pacheco, who's great with the ball in his hands, but kind of lacks the other things. So maybe teams are now just looking for these skill sets, these stable running backs, where they can just pile, pile these these players into the position based on the situation, and that's what they're going to roll with. Like fantasy wise, it absolutely kills the position now. Like I don't like how many how many RB ones are there in in the league truly now. How many feature running backs are there? Very few. So I I, I do think it I do think it's a shame. But I do entirely understand it. But I would also people say that, oh, Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, well, their teams didn't win, so the running backs weren't that important. But let's be honest, how important was Jamal Charles to the Chiefs in general? He was the only thing that made the Chiefs worth watching for about four or five years. He was. Like if it wasn't for him, like we would have turned off many games. Him himself, like same with Adrian Peterson, like he absolutely was incredible when it was finished the Vikings and there's a dead cert for the Hall of Fame. He just played, what, only one year, two years with Brett Favre? The rest of the had crappy quarterbacks. So, like, let's be right. honest, yeah, they don't elevate the teams, but they certainly made them watchable for those first few, first few years. Um, they were there, Pearson and Jamal Charles. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I do think the position has been completely devalued. I do think that there's going to be a, a massive slowdown of running backs making the Hall of Fame. I do think that's going to be a knock-on effect. It's, like... How many active running backs really are we looking at? Thinking, oh, they're a dead cert for the Hall of Fame. Like if Jamal Charles isn't going to make the Hall of Fame, which probably won't, he probably be on the edge of it. He'll probably be talked about for years and years and years, and mm. might might get talked about as like a potential, like as a senior prospect in like twenty years' time, someone might come out know, actually realize Jamal Charles was great. But if he's not going to make the Hall of Fame, who the current crop is? What Christian McCaffrey? That's about it. Derek. Henry? Who else? Who else? We so who? Derek Henry. Maybe Derek Henry. Maybe, Maybe, yeah, because maybe Derek Henry's command more respect across the league as a whole. But outside of that, very few. I can't see anyone else. I just do think the position itself is dying. And basically my, my... Words of wisdom, my Tom Charles words of wisdom on the Harry Pride podcast network is to all young running backs is give it up, mate. Just go, go, go learn a new position, right now. or learn how <laughs> to catch a ball, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or learn how or to block
2: your ball. quarter, block for your quarterback, you know. Yeah, uh, no, it's 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 difficult times, but hey ho, I suppose teams got to move on. I think, uh running backs are got to move on at some point as well. I think you're going to find a lot of these players probably going to retire. This stuff, and
1: does, this stuff does ebb and flow, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, The positions that get paid in the NFL changes all the time. I remember a few years ago, safeties, no one wanted to pay safeties. And the following, year, everyone wanted to pay safeties. Mm-hmm. Now everyone wants to pay right tackles. No one wanted to pay right tackles before. So it does ebb and flow. But I do think like, the data behind it is massively going against uh, running backs on their contracts and I think until that changes until there's until they start getting in those top right-hand corners of those grass with Patrick Mahomes um, I don't think they're gonna get paid anytime soon
2: what you mean like have them as a wildcat start throwing the ball as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're gonna have to do everything aren't they now mm. running backs <laughs> anyway we're here to talk about Chiefs football and uh, I mean training camp's underway at the minute we're not going to go totally into training camp you've got very much all of that that covered in every single podcast that we've got on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. You've got regular updates as well from uh, on the podium. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll touch on it slightly a little bit. Um, a few things that have, have kind of stood out really is, uh, you know, the, the wide receivers. We spoke about them quite a few times on this show, the wide receivers. Are we... Are we getting the answers that we needed from them? Because um, we were very concerned about the wide receiving core when we went going into this training camp, weren't we? And has it kind of satisfied you so far? I know it's only been a few days in training camp, but from what you've seen and what you've heard, do you think the wide receivers are probably managing without the likes of Kadarius Tony, who's obviously injured now out of that, and we haven't got the likes of Juju
1: Smith-Schuster anymore? And mm.
2: do, do you feel that the wide receivers are bringing it?
1: yeah i think that I, I don't we never want to call an injury a blessing in disguise but it's kind of been that way with the tony thing like obviously mm-hmm. for his personal circumstances we'd love to see tony on the field but what it has done is enabled other players to step up and it's given us a real opportunity to look at these receivers these these like receivers at the bottom of the depth chart and normally i would sit here and say it doesn't really matter but then we had a situation like the AFC Championship game where Marcus Kemp, Sky Moore, and MVS were the only fit wide receivers on the room.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: in the room. So it kind of, it goes to show that sometimes the bottom of the roster does does matter. And that's coming from me. I really, like, honestly, I am well on board of the training camp preseason doesn't matter train, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I got proved wrong last year. I got proven wrong. So, yeah, uh, I suppose the, having this opportunity to look at likes of Justin Ross, who obviously is carrying a massive hype train with him, to the likes of Rashi Rice and the other players, Moore. It's great to have a look at them and see how they're adapting, how they're getting on playing with Mahomes, some of them are second-year players. So it, it's good to see. And I, I think from all accounts, it sounds like it's going relatively well. Um, I don't... I don't take it all too seriously sometimes because it's not like full game speed, but I suppose it's the closest you're going to get in St. Joseph in August. So oh. I'm sure the players would love to hear me say that it's not full game speed and they're taking it easy, but you know, it's a bit, it's easier. Yeah. Is easier yeah. than say an, an NFL game. So now I'm looking forward to seeing how they get on, especially in the preseason. Like, what well, by the time we record a show, they would have played a preseason game, I believe. Um, yeah. So we have an actual game to talk about next time. So oh, yeah. God, uh, that sounds yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm looking forward to seeing how they get on. But yeah, the Tony injury, I didn't want it to happen. But the best possible thing that could have happened from that is given opportunity to other guys, and yeah. I am intrigued to see how those guys, the fourth, fifth, sixth guys, get on. In, in in games and in training camp, I suppose we already can kind of know
2: what Tony can bring to the table. It's it, you're right. It's finding out what the others can do now and, mm-hmm. and see how they manage that and that, manage that expectation from a lot of fans because there's a lot of Chiefs fans there over at St Joe at the minute. Yeah. Um. So you know, all eyes are on the uh, the wide receivers right now, quite rightly, because it is that area that, like I said before, we felt as though it was a weak a weak area for us. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen. I'm I'm quite pleasantly surprised. I quite like the, what what I've seen so far. Some amazing catches, some great movement. Um, yeah, like I said, the Justin Ross hype train seems to be uh, you know steamrolling out of the station at the moment. <laughs> um, but looking at training camp now, it's uh, you mentioned it just now. It, it it's meant to be easier, and it's not meant to be like you know full full game speed and stuff. But mate, we've had about three fights so far. <laughs> Yeah. the training field haven't we where we think oh. chill out
1: <laughs> yeah Travis Kelsey needs to get himself laid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just going to say this this much that man has so much pent up aggression tried, <laughs> I don't know he what's tried going on Taylor there
4: Swift, he
1: tried. I, don't know, I don't know what's happened there but he, that man needs like, he just needs a release of some kind I don't don't know. I don't know. He just needs to go out and, I don't know, find someone or find someone. That sounds horrific. (laughs) Good luck editing
0: this.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I know he needs to take up boxing or something like that. But the the man, he's aggressive at the moment. Like, like, is it late hits by the DBs? Are they punching the ball late? Or is he just being, I don't
0: know,
2: a bit of a diva. It's weird. I mean, from what I saw, I mean, I know that I saw one of them where they tried to rip the ball out and the, the whistle had already gone and the, the play had already died yeah. down. But and I can understand a little bit of frustration, you know, if if a diva's come in there and has tried to rip it out after the whistle and stuff. I can, I can kind of get that. But your teammates at the end of the day, you know, you don't yeah. want to be having all that kind of aggro between you and stuff. I mean, I get it. You know, there's competition for, for places and stuff, but Kelsey's not in a competition for a place. No. So it must have been the Taylor Swift thing. It must have been. It, he <laughs> it, it clearly has taken it personally, hasn't he? <laughs>
1: Maybe that. It's the
4: Taylor Swift. I oh. mean,
2: you know, just because she didn't accept your bracelet or didn't want to talk to you because she was saving her voice. You know, it just you yeah. know, just just accept it, Travis. You like one of us. <laughs> you didn't stand a chance. You're like one of us.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't understand fighting. I really don't. Like, I'm I'm not a fighter myself. But if I was a fighter, I still wouldn't fight with yeah. an NFL helmet on my head. Like, I would not punch anyone with a helmet on my head. That's for sure. yeah. I just don't get it. Like, what what are you achieving other than potentially a broken hand? I just ah oh. NFL players. I. Think are quite smart in general, like yeah. right? the stuff they have to learn and whatnot. And they obviously educate very well as well. I think the majority of them are quite smart, but every now and then they do some really dumb <laughs> shit. <laughs> and one of the dumbest things they can do is punch another player in the helmet. Yeah. I just don't get it. Oh, I just don't get it. It'd be like me going, oh, I'm, I'm really angry with you, Brad. I'm going to go and punch this safe i like i don't i just don't i just don't get it i'm gonna headbutt that rhino that's what i'm gonna do i just uh, idiots just that'll teach, teach you. you yeah
2: <laughs> I, I well, it's funny because andy Reid said the same thing didn't he, he says he's just a waste of time well, those
1: words he said i oh, sometimes i get angry i'm gonna punch a rhino <laughs> i want to punch a rhino <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: well no he said he said it's a waste of time and i agree with him you know what are you fighting for it's you know, we've got so much to do, the rest of the rest of the training camp. What the hell are you fighting for? And why are you trying mm-hmm. to punch somebody else who's got protective clothing on? I just don't get it. But uh
1: they just, need to go, they just go full on ice hockey, shot over the head, rip everything <laughs> off, and then start gloves fighting. Off. That's <laughs> what they need to do. Gloves off.
2: Drop the gloves. There you yeah. go. <laughs> All right, should we touch on some of the hour headlines before we have a break? Should we just uh go through um some of the this week's, basically, uh, the last few days of uh, our headlines that you uh, painstakingly gather for our viewing pleasure. Um, I just wanted to pick out a few of them. And one of them was, um, it's not actually a Chief player anymore, but it's Frank Clark. Clark. Frank Clark, the shark, doesn't see the Broncos as a rival of the Chiefs. Um, he seems to have got a lot of Broncos fans up in arms about this, but he's kind of
1: right, really. Oh, 100% he's right. Yeah. 100% he's right. In fact, I'm going to check. I'm going to check how many people have read that article um, <laughs> so, so far. <laughs> you keep well, on. you're on. Put some elevator music on. Welcome to Intermission. So I'm still trying to have a look.
4: Yeah, Intermission.
1: Keep going with the elevator music. What a day. not as many as i thought um still, well that was a waste of time wasn't still it still quite a lot <laughs> don't get me wrong still quite a lot but it's just like an average Arrowhead headlines day so yeah it turns out that bronco's fans have grown up a little bit and they haven't all like gone for the bait and like lived in the arrowhead pride conference so no frank clark doesn't know what he's talking about but He's right. They aren't a rival currently. It'd be like you turning around and saying, I don't know, Middlesbrough are currently a rival for Newcastle. <laughs> are they really? Like they are by geography. That's about it. It'd be like Arsenal turning around and saying, Oh, Fulham. They are, they're a rival of Arsenal's. Yeah, they play in the same league. Yeah, they play in the same city, but let's be honest, they're no long. they're not really a rival. They're a derby, but they're not a rival, are they? So yeah, until the Broncos prove that they can bring it and yeah. prove that they can beat the Chiefs, and I do think they stand more of a chance with the likes of Frank Clark over there, yeah, because I do think he offers them something that they are have been missing for a long time, and that is attitude. Um, until the until they that day, until that that point where they actually beat the Chiefs, then no, the Chiefs are the top dog in that rivalry. In inverted comments, like Frank is absolutely spot on with his with his analysis there.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad he's actually just speaking sense because you know we're hearing all this off season that you know who's the best player in the NFL and these other play these players on the same team are saying who's the best quarterback and they're always saying their quarterback obviously to try and big up their quarterback and I thought that when they were talking about Tyreek, yeah, who, (laughs) (laughs) um. But when they asked Frank, he gave an honest answer. It was like, you know, he could have just said, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a rivalry, and we're really looking forward to doing, you know, doing the business over the Chiefs this year. But he was just, he was just so honest. He was like, nah, even when I was on the Chiefs, we didn't call it a rivalry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
5: Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. We have our second 53-man roster of... A training camp I decided to do it John and and maybe it was a little sooner than usual but I decided to do it because we had a day off and I thought there were enough changes to be made that I figured let's put another one out and and discuss it and I I'll start with the biggest change and the one that caught the most attention was me waving my white flag and saying I was completely wrong about this whole situation, and I almost—I didn't apologize, but I, 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 need, I as close as you could get to an apology. I put uh, Justin Ross on this 53-man roster, including seven wide receivers. Let's start in that room: Kadarius Tony, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, Richie James, Justin Watson, Justin Ross. Now I don't know if you should be trusting me about injury timelines because I thought Wharton would be on the PUP, but I tend to think they'll be cautious with Kadarius Tony. So seven wide receivers to me is really six because I think they keep him on the initial fifty-three. Tony would go to the IR to return. You're only eligible for the IR to return if you're on the initial fifty-three. So Tony goes to the the IR to return, and then you end up bringing back an, another body in another room. But what it, it comes down to in the headline here is Justin Ross has been uh, undeniable when it comes to you know you know and as much as I want to say I do need to see more I think from a level of play I think he's had moments in camp certainly the Chiefs are putting videos out on social media where you can see how good of a route runner he is I think there is more to prove when it comes to play on the field but what you can't argue with is how much time they're giving him with Patrick Mahomes and they're not to give Mm -hmm. player reps with Patrick Mahomes if they don't see him on the 53-man roster and so I, I think that's what you're looking at for the first four weeks. Those guys I was talking about: Valdez, Scantling, Moore, Rice, James Watson, and then Ross. And then you kick the can uh, down the road to figure out what you do when Kadarius Tony is is healthy, whenever that may be. Of do you keep seven receivers at that time? Uh, but yeah, I think Ross is going to have an opportunity here. And you know we've said it if if we're wrong about this, and if he can push for the fifty three and be an asset on this Chiefs team. This is going to be one of the better stories in the NFL yeah. period. And in a year that didn't include, and this is a great story in itself, but Buffalo Bills uh, defensive back uh, DeMar Hamlin, like Justin Ross might be up for the comeback player of the year. That's not, He's not going to get that, right, because of the whole situation. But um, really just impressive to not play a football game since
4: 2021. And so far, so good in Chiefs training camp, John. I would uh, tell you that, again, that I don't think you need to apologize because I think that we were right to uh, say that we needed to see him play at an NFL level in real practices where hitting is going on and in preseason games before we could really evaluate whether he'd have a chance to make the roster. I'm very pleased to say that we saw the possibility that he could be on the roster much sooner than I would have guessed. I would have said, well, we may have to get as far as the preseason before we can really tell whether or not he yeah. can play at this level. But it's pretty obvious already that the team believes he can play at this level. And on that basis, then he obviously should have a shot, particularly since um, since we have had this issue with Kadarius Tony. Um, and that essentially allows you to, to get your seventh wide receiver on the roster, at least to begin the season. But I, I, you know, I always tell people you, you make the decision with the information that's available to you. And we just didn't have any information mm-hmm. about and what, what awesome. Ross could do on an NFL football field. And, and without it, we really couldn't, we really couldn't say he'd make the roster
5: and go back and listen. What do I always say after every time? And I said, Ross is not making the team. There's no way. I hope I'm wrong. So, yeah, like with right. that being said, I hope I win the lottery. I'm gonna throw that <laughs> out into the universe. All right, let's go back to the quarterback room, John. I, I still believe the Chiefs keep three quarterbacks. I, yeah, I'm I wonder if when we get to 3.0. I don't know when I'm gonna do that, but I wonder when we get to 3.0, I start to feel like the skill position players are too much to maybe maybe start considering the Chiefs only keeping two quarterbacks. The reason I've been keeping three, and you've agreed with this point, and this is what has given me pause to really have the Chiefs go with two is this new quarterback rule? It's just too valuable of an asset to have of where the player, to to be clear, there's a new NFL rule where the player, the quarterback has to be on the 53-man roster. He doesn't have to necessarily be on, John, as you would describe, the 46, 47-man roster that you have on on game days. So if Mahomes were to go down and then Blaine Gabbert were to go down, Shane Buechel's on the 53. He could be placed in the game as that emergency third quarterback. Like I don't know if we need to be seeing Jerick McKinnon uh instead of like a Shane <laughs> Buechel who's actually practicing each and every day. Right. And right. so that's pushed me to keep the the third quarterback, but I I'm I'm I, I the talent on the Chiefs team as far as depth of like pass catchers and skill players and running backs and you know we'll talk about it at it's deep. And I wonder if that changes in the future, but right now I'm keeping three quarterbacks.
4: I, I have to disagree with you here, Pete. I don't think there's any way the chiefs keep uh, just two quarterbacks on the active mm. roster this year. That's I think a, I they're going to take, I don't, I don't yeah, disagree. I, yeah. I, I think they will take full advantage of this rule. They see the advantage of it and they don't want to be the team that can't put a quarterback on a field in a playoff game. I mean, right. that's the, that's the terrible thought, you know, if, if, if if we have a situation like we had when Mahomes was hurt in 2019, where it's a regular season game and you know, a Matt Moore comes in for a couple of games and splits them, well, that's not the end of the world. But if Patrick Mahomes goes down in a playoff game and then another quarterback goes down, you don't want Jarek McKinnon in there taking snaps. No. And this is this is what the 49ers were looking at uh in last season and this is why we have this rule now is because of the situation in which the 49ers found themselves. So I think the Chiefs will take full advantage of it. I think we're going to see three quarterbacks on the roster just in case. Yeah, you
5: don't want to see a Kendall Hinton situation. Remember in the covid right, year right. the Broncos had to that yeah. was just wild. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Um all right, so that's 10. We have seven receivers, three quarterbacks. Go to the running back room. I kept four here. No change from 1.0. Isaiah Pacheco, Jerick McKinnon, Clyde Iversy, Lair, Deneric Prance. Clyde has been playing a lot because uh, mm-hmm. Isaiah Pacheco has been wearing that yellow non-contact jersey. I did see James Palmer put out. He believes that yellow jersey will come off August 20th and he'll be cleared for contact. You know, Pacheco has been wearing this yellow jersey, but the, the, the defenders don't care. They've been touching him, like not tackling him. <laughs> like pushing him and stuff. I, I think they should take it off already, but I, apparently the labrum is still being eased in. I think that I, I know a lot of people want to write off Edwards. E I'm not a hundred percent sure he's going to make this team, but I, I think if he is, um if he doesn't, it'll be via trade. I think there is some value to him somewhere in the league. I don't think it's just going to be a flat out cut. Uh, we didn't see the chiefs. Move Ronald Jones. Remember when there was all those rumors, John, at the deadline last year that the Chiefs would move Ronald Jones, and then he he played the entire year on the team. I mean, they didn't play play, but he was on the team the entire right. year. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I think it breaks down like this: I think Isaiah Pacheco's your early down back. I think the backup change of pace for him is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think Jerick McKinnon's your pass catching back. But Deneric Prince is his backup. And that's the way the Chiefs are going to roll. They like having a backup for the two types of roles in the in the committee. I, I think Clyde Zolaire will get some touches here and there. I think Derek Prince is the most interesting player in that room. Maybe the most interesting player on offense. I know you want to, you want to say I don't want to keep hating on Ross because I know eventually I'm going to get like people chasing me. But I I think I find Prince to be more interesting than Ross as I'm there every day. He is just Dynamic. I think he's faster than Clyde edwards when he's rushing the ball. I think he can catch better, maybe than any other, other the backs in the room. And one thing I asked Patrick Mahomes today was, you know, what do you think of Eric Prince? And kind of saying what I, I I've been saying about him being a pass catcher. But Mahomes noted that he's even seen improvement as a pass protector. And if I'm telling you, if they feel comfortable about Prince protecting Mahomes, he's going to push McKinnon for those pass catching snaps on offense early. And I. I just think it it's one of the big surprises at camp but we don't we're not talking about it as much because I think think Ross has just so so much attention but uh, I'm really excited to see what what Prince can do probably number 1 I want to see what Prince can do in that first preseason game.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there were I was just looking this up here. Um th- there were a lot of games uh last year where they had three running backs active. Mm -hmm. And I because of the way this plays out, I wonder if they'll have to keep four active for every game. You know, you can't you can't make Prince inactive because he's going to be your main kickoff kickoff guy if Dave Tobe is to believe be believed. Yeah. And uh, so then do you just have um, Prince as the backup to both McKinnon and Pacheco? I don't know. Yeah. And so I, I that'll be very interesting. That's going to be the most interesting part of this to me is what they do uh, with the fourth running back. Is it somebody who's going to be available on game day or is that going to be one of the inactives that we see every week?
5: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and the Chiefs will use the rest of the month to, to figure that out. Uh, Edwards Allaire has looked pretty good. I mean, he's been taking a lot of reps because Pacheco mm-hmm. can't participate in, in the team part of practice, uh, at least yet. So. We will see how that pans out. No fullbacks. The death of the, I mean, it was, it was dead before, but it is, it is getting closer and closer to calling the time of death for the fullbacks. There's no fullback in camp. The Chiefs feel like they can do it with the tight end room, Blake, Blake Bell, um, and really Noah Gray specifically. Um, anyway, so seven wide receivers. Uh, we said three quarterbacks. That's 10. Four running backs. That is 14. Good math. Now we go to the tight end room. I only kept three here, and this is the procedural move going back to the Tony 2IR thing. I think Blake Bell doesn't make the initial 53-man roster. So when the the Chiefs are making these cuts, there's only one cut this year on August 30th. The younger players, they get waived, and they're subject to other teams around the league claiming them. Older players with four or more accrued seasons get released, which means you can do these uh, under-the-table handshake deals with some veterans to say hey we'll, we'll hit you tomorrow and get you back on the team and i think they do that with blake bell so i think it's a 24-hour release but so three tight ends john procedural they end up keeping uh what would be four here on the first day after the cut do you agree
4: yeah i i would tend to agree um i mean they they I think we've been talking about multiple tight end sets all the time, and uh, we always want the Chiefs to have four so they can put that magical four tight end set on the field. Uh, What do they call that? T-Rex, right? The T-Rex. And uh, and, uh, uh, so I think they will want to continue to do that. I think Bell also fulfills some pretty specific roles that they like. So I would agree, four tight ends it is.
5: So that's 17 players on offense. Now we go to the offensive line room. No change from 2.0 from what I put out in, in 1.0. I'm keeping nine, and it's Donovan Smith, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Jawan Taylor from left to right. I got Nick Allegretti next, in, inside guy off the bench. He can play both guard positions in center. I got Wanye Morris next on the depth chart. I think he's winning the swing tackle battle right now, based upon what I've seen. Then Lucas Niang, another option for a tackle on the team. And then Darian Canard, I do like your boy, Prince Tego Inogo, and Austin Ryder to remain with the Chiefs on the practice squad. But I also think Mike Caliendo, who has been taking second-team snaps at center, mixing in with Nick Allegretti, they've been mixing on and off. Um, I think he's on the practice squad as well. So it's a it's a group of nine that makes a team, but really maybe 11 to 12, just depending on how you use those practice squad spots.
4: Yeah, I might have... Uh thought that uh, prince winogo might have made it on there um and he still might um but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of surprised because they they treated him like they were like he was a guy they were grooming to be a significant player this year last season but you know maybe Wanye morris has really impressed them in camp and moved winogo out of the way that's entirely possible
5: and we're rooting for for you john i know you've been dying for Jawanye and uh <laughs> might be something we wait until uh, 2024 for. but Uh, It's coming.
4: It's coming. It's coming.
5: All right. Uh,
3: We're
5: we're trying to do a more abbreviated show. And listen, we're making good time right now. I told Steve I tried to make this about 45 minutes, and we are rolling here. So let's go to the defensive side. By the way, that was 26 total offensive players. That's what they kept last year, I believe. Uh, Sometimes it's 25 and 25. I got 26 and 24. So let's go uh, to the defense. This is where... I put it out. I put this projection out on Tuesday, and then Wednesday happens, and I don't even know what to do with it. But I kept four defensive tackles. Remember, this is before I knew that Turk Wharton uh, would not be running onto the field within, in a blaze of glory when I went to practice. But I had Chris Jones, Charles Menehu, uh Derek Nottie, and Keandre Coburn. I know that some of you will say, well, hey, look, Charles is an uh, inside outside guy. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs like him mostly on the inside. But I will say, because Mike Dan has been out of the mix, he's been working outside a lot, John. So really is going to be this utility guy that can fill in, you know, wherever you, you end up wanting to put him. And so maybe with this, let's go to, let me read the defensive ends here, because maybe this is the answer to my, my question. I have George Karloff, this Mike Dan, Malik Herring, Felique, uh, Felique, Felique, Felix Anaduke Uzama, and B.J. Thompson. Maybe you throw a menu into like that defensive end, you take Malik Herring, who's right now is pushing for the roster, out of that room, and maybe that's where Turk Wharton makes the defensive tackle. So in this on-the-fly change here I'm making to the, the projection that I put out on Tuesday, it would be Chris Jones, it would be Derek Nottie, Keandre Coburn, and Turk Wharton, and then you have George Karloftis, Mike Dana, Felix Sanaduke Uzama, BJ Thompson as your ends, and then Charles Amenahue does both. Do you agree mm. with that change on the fly, John?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's reasonable. I think this is an excellent example of what happens when you have a championship football team and you've built it by uh, drafting and acquiring young players who can go in and contribute. You end up having to let go of some players that you might keep on another team. And I think that Malik Herring might be in that that club. I think today when uh, Ron Kopp published his story about three on the bubble players who have uh, really made a case for themselves and this season in the, in the training camp. And Malik Herring was one of those guys. And I think that's exactly right. I think he's somebody that, that, you know, has a real chance to be on the roster, but he may not make it just because of the numbers. They have been working
5: Herring and Josh Kando. I've noticed they're not on the field when the first team defense initially takes it to training camp, but they mix in. Mm-hmm. With the first team defense, as like sessions carry along and and practices carry along, so they're getting looks. Like the Herring and and Kendo right now are getting more looks with the first team, John, than uh, Anu Duke Izama and Thompson. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a learning curve there, but uh, you you know you think about well how do how does this all fix fit in and, and work out? I, Herring and and Kando have been here for a while, so right you, you wonder what what their future lies you wonder if, if they're not going to make this team does the team just say look if you can go make another 15 three-man roster go do it or you know you see them claimed or something like that so, right but that is nine defensive linemen linebacker room i got nick bolton willie gay jr drew tranquil and leo chanel that is those are locks those are th- all those guys are making the team jack cochran is the other one i think he's a near lock just because of how valuable he is on special right. teams to, to right. tobe and just like um, you know, some of these other players that are mixing in. You see him sometimes mixing in with the first-team defense because he, if he's going to be in on that 46-47-man roster, John, uh, on game days, then you need to have him also be taking some reps on defense. So right. I think Cochran mm-hmm. does make, make this team, and I don't think there's a lot of question with the linebacker room unless there were to be an injury.
4: I think that's right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Cochran's on the team for his special teams role, and they're working him in so he can at least play on the defense if he needs to. But they're backed up pretty well there. Um, you know, they've got two different guys that can play Mike really well, I think, in, in Bolton and uh, Tranquil. And um, I, I think that's a great situation for them to be in, is to have two guys like that.
5: I uh I've really have been liking what I've seen from Drew Tranquil early here. I thought it was really yeah. impressive that he was able to run the defense that day, filling in Nick Bolton's shoes by making the calls. And it really didn't seem like there was much confusion. And from anyone that comes to Spagnolo's defense, it it seems awfully complicated. I mean, they, they run multiple types of fronts and, and different formations and, and whatnot. And yeah, it didn't seem like Drew Tranquil flinched. So not only is he athletic and, good coverage backer but you you could tell he has the smarts to to do that and so they gave tranquil the nod on the day without bolton instead of gay i know i know we had that situation where gay has done it in the past but i guess they trust tranquil even a little bit more early on here um in the cornerback room i kept trent mcduffie legerius sneed jalen watson joshua williams and nick jones only five i do like what i've seen from Galaf and uh, Eco Boy Doe, uh, the local flavor there, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to make the team. I like both of those guys to land on the practice squad. I had six originally in 1.0, but Nazi Johnson goes to IR. And then I added another safety, as I'll tell you in a minute.
4: Do you like those five
5: cornerbacks, John?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. In the last
5: three days, and I'll give you this note uh, Joshua Williams has been one of the top three cornerbacks the first two days when Snead was at practice. He was at third cornerback coming in with McDuffie sliding in. Uh, today, with no Snead, it was McDuffie and Williams with Watson coming in, uh, also McDuffie sliding in. So I think there has been a, a full transition to McDuffie being that guy over Snead who ends up sliding into the nickel. I think they eye Snead when he is healthy, as it's got to go up against your opponent's top guy uh, to try to to um, equalize him. And so you have Trent McDuffie taking on the slot weapon.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference.
6: Let's stick with tradition. A lot of teams rolling out a city edition or whatever you want to call them, alternate colorways and all these uh, these new uniforms. The Chiefs have the face of the they the face of the shield, one of the biggest players in all of the world. Uh, Chief CEO Clark Hunt, chairman and CEO Clark Hunt, asked about the possibility of the Chiefs maybe you know adding a little splash of something something into their their uniform rotation. This is what he had to say about that.
4: Yeah, it it was something that my dad felt very strongly about uh, going all the way back to the uh, early 60s. He wanted a lot of continuity uh, in the uniforms, and we've tried to maintain that uh, over the year. Uh, I think we have a very distinct brand uh, with the red and white, and uh, don't
0: anticipate uh, steering away from that anytime soon.
6: I'm not doing it, so quit asking.
0: (laughs) In the words of Nick Saban, he ain't doing it.
6: It
1: ain't he happening. Shut,
0: he just shut down all the graphic designer's dreams out there on and Chiefs Kingdom that be drawing up these alternate jerseys. Got the black with the yellow helmets, the the all white helmet. It's dead now. It's just a fantasy. Uh, I, I kind of, I so this is one of those that I see
6: both sides. I I think the Chiefs do have one of those classic looks across all sports where it's like. If it ain't broke, don't break it like this is something that is is clean and crisp. And you've kind of you've come to associate the Chiefs with that look. But at some point, you do have to kind of you have to stay fresh. You don't have to completely lean into doing like the gradient and all that stuff like the Falcons were doing for times. But like, it's not bad. And also merchandising. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with the, with with coming out with a new uniform and having people buy a new 15. Could you think of all the the jerseys on Christmas Day that could be that could be purchased with a new 15? Like, I I see both sides of it, but this is where this is where the hunts are, man. They're traditional.
0: Yeah, I get it. So that's why I'm surprised that you think they're gonna build a new stadium.
6: That's money. That's money talking. I mean, that's uh, big money.
0: That's big money. And, and, and yeah. like
6: uh and like Donovan said in there, like so. It's the math, right? Do you want to pay $1.5 billion for a new stadium with some taxpayer help? Or do you want to sink $300 million every year into Arrowhead, which has basically only got like 40 or 50 more years, essentially?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I was one of those guys that wanted to see an alternate uniform just to spice it up, man. We're in, this is the best era in Chiefs history to spice it up a little bit, man. Let's get a little swag, man. You know what I'm saying? I want to see... I want to see Aaron Ladd rocking a cool alternate jersey, you know what I'm saying, around Westport, you know? And I want to get a little Mav a new Chiefs jersey around the house. You know, he's, tired of, he's tired of wearing the red and white, man. Oh, dang. Appreciate
6: y'all rocking with us here on Chiefs Coast to Coast. Mark Gunnels. Madden, I guess. <laughs> Mark Gunnels in L.A. or Ladd in Birmingham. Steven Serta behind the board. Y'all rocking with us here in the chat. Appreciate y'all chiming in kingdom queens podcast mark gunnels is uh that's family over there right hey fellas awesome show appreciate y'all rocking with us reggie green says love that they're not changing the uniforms so there is some love still for the the old classic traditional look
0: i love them too but it's nothing wrong with switching up every now and then
6: I, I mean just one i mean one one week a year would not would not kill you it, it, <laughs> you preach it to the choir here, yeah but- Let's uh, jump around a little bit because I thought the wide receiver stuff is always going to draw conversation. So let's jump into that, and then we'll move around to something Frank Clark had to say, who is a new member of the Denver Broncos. But the wide receiver room, since we last talked, the Chiefs lost a wide receiver, John Ross, who joined the team. I think on a futures deal last December, decided after three training camp practices in Andy Reid that he had seen enough, and he was no longer interested in in, in pursuing an NFL career. He retired, and then. As we mentioned earlier, the injury to Kadarius Tony kind of shifts our mindset, even in the two weeks since we recorded a podcast, shifts our mindset and how we see this 53-man roster and this wide receiver room shaking out. I believe last time we talked in this pod, we both said we saw six wide receivers making it, but you said earlier, seven. Who's your seventh and why as we get closer to the preseason game number one?
0: Well, I think it's clearly Justin Ross. And you can make the argument. He may be a little higher than that, maybe six or five. Um, Obviously, I think – I'm assuming that Tony will not be there week one. I think they're going to slow play that. So I think that really helped him as well, open up another spot just to have that security. But also, I mean, he's been playing his way into it. I mean, at this point, he almost put the Chiefs in a position where they can't cut him. You know, obviously, we still – have some preseason games to go. So I don't want to completely jump the gun here, but I mean, if you've just been watching training camp, the clips and what the players are saying, what the coaches are saying about them, it's kind of hard to ignore at this point. And I know me and you have been really yellow light lad on the Justin Ross hype on the show <laughs> uh, for the most part. So I, I do think uh, now we do have to acknowledge the fact that he is probably going to make the team at this point.
6: I agree. And I and I want to echo something that Andy Reid said about this because I think it's the biggest difference in what we saw from Justin Ross in previous years and what we've seen from Justin Ross this year. He's a guy that's not only confident in his body and 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 what he's been able to do physically, right? And his health and <laughs> his ability to rehab and come back to 110%, but also it's not it's not just body, it's also mind. He seems like a guy who has been in the chief system for a year now and understands what the concepts are and understands what his responsibility is in those plays. That was the difference in years past, in my opinion. I know people called me yellow light lad and I got in some hot water for tweeting out one of the videos of him uh, when he was first getting to Kansas City. But you can see it. it and it's like. It's not just what the coaches are saying, but you can see it physically in these 11 and 11 drills. You can see how he's going up and high pointing, attacking the ball. His fundamentals are clean. He looks like physically he looks like a a, a pro type receiver. Um, And MVS gave voice to it earlier this week, uh, talking about working with some of the taller guys. He has a skill set that not many other people inside the team have. He is a taller receiver who is kind of a possession, big body type guy. He's going to be hard to match up with if he can put all that together. Now, that's a big if, Mark, because so far we've only seen Justin Ross do a lot of these things in camp against teammates and against opposing defenses who know what's coming. Can he go out there and do it in in preseason and show to us that not only he can make the team, but be an impact player on Sundays? That's two different things. Um, But if you're asking me right now, August 2nd, 2023, uh, Justin Ross is on the 53-man roster, and he's and he's earned that spot, rightfully so.
0: Yeah, and then even Pete Swinney a couple of days ago gave out his 53, and he included Justin Ross. He uh, came around on him as well. It seems like that's kind of the consensus around uh, Chiefs Kingdom and people that are covering them at this point. And then also, I tweeted this earlier today, and I really feel strongly about this, and it's very fascinating because the guy went undrafted. But outside of Patrick Mahomes, in recent memory, I can't remember a guy who's had a more anticipated preseason debut than Justin Ross. I mean, all eyes are going to be on Justin Ross next, was it next Sunday they play or next Saturday, August 13th? I know it was the 13th. So, yeah, against the New Orleans Saints. I mean, not even just Chiefs fans. Like, I've seen people in the timeline, other fans are like, how did, how did we let the Chiefs get him? Like, because people would know how good he was in Clemson. He's, he's showing shades of potentially still being that guy during training camp. So that's going to be a very highly anticipated preseason game for Justin Ross, just to see him get hit. I want to see him get hit from another team, like a real hit and then get up and he's still fine. Then I'll be like, okay, okay. Now I might be really fully on at this point.
6: Did you happen to see any of Frank Clark's recent comments with his new team?
0: Yeah. About the rivalry with the chiefs. (laughs) <laughs>
6: mark yeah, gunnels, if, if you're listening to the audio mark gunnels put rivalry in air quotes if you will <laughs> because kansas city has defeated denver the last 15 times in a row obviously frank clark was a part of a lot of those chiefs teams that came out on the winning end but now he's on the other side says that he doesn't consider it a rivalry because rivalries are competitive this could be quick I've already said how I how I how I feel about this rivalry going into 2023. And I don't think this changed my mind, man. I I think the Broncos get one this year. I'm not going to lie.
0: I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm kind of leaning towards your line of thinking, actually. I do think with Sean Payton there, uh, if you're not, if you're listening to audio right now, Aaron (laughs) Ladd's give me this face like he's shocked. (laughs) that I I said that, like I had the Chiefs going 17 and 0 or something. I do have them losing some games, Aaron. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do think with first year of Sean Payton, I think they're gonna have some stability there. I think Russell Wilson, I think he still has a little left in the tank. He was talking about he wants to run a little bit more. He still is an athlete as well, uh, create and move some chains and stuff like that. their defense is obviously great. I mean, they were arguably the best defense in the league last year. I think I saw a stat that if they just averaged twenty points a game last year, they would have been eleven and six. If they just averaged twenty, and that's a low bar just averaging 20 points a game aaron they would have won 11 games
6: was that three touchdowns
0: yeah
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hard. two
0: touchdowns and two field goals yeah (laughs) yeah so i do think they are a potential playoff team this year I, i really do
6: i think the afc west is going to be more competitive this year but we've said that on this platform going into a preseason play in the past and the chiefs continue to find a way to sweep their way through the division
0: yeah, I, I think the Chargers are obviously going to be in the mix. Like I said, the Broncos, I think the Raiders will be awful, though. I think that's the only team in the division that would be just completely bad.
6: Uh, these are some quick ones before we head down to Vegas. Rolling merrily along right here on Chiefs Coast to Coast. If you have any questions, very active chat today. Throw them in there so we can get to them before the end of the show. I got a couple of drinks with my name on them here in Birmingham. Uh <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. <laughs> Patrick what's, your, what's your
0: drink of choice before we get the Mahomes?
6: Uh Gin and Tonic. If I'm doing liquor, okay. but if I'm okay. doing beer, I'm a boulevard wheat guy. Shout out to uh shout out to a KC classic right there.
1: <laughs>
6: uh but you too bougie for that. You you don't even know what that is.
0: Man, you're not from a, you're not from a Georgia no more, man. You gonna take my Georgia card? You're a kid from Kansas City now. You said it before.
6: Well, I just took that from you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
6: just took that from you because I didn't want you to have it anymore.
0: Uh, you're back down south now. You're you're back in your roots now. You're in Alabama.
6: Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's get to this Mahomes Brady talk. These people, uh, it seems like these guys are going to get compared for the rest of time, probably Forever. essentially, yeah. yeah. Especially when Patrick Mahomes comes off yet another year where he wins the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. This is from Sports Illustrated and Albert Breer. I'll just try and jump around to a couple of the quotes. Um, Crap, lost my spot. He's talking about the comparison between him and Brady. Of course, they played in that Super Bowl back in Tampa, and Mahomes was on the losing end of it. But this is what he had to say to Albert Breer on Sports Illustrated. He says, I've had a great start. I've been put in a great situation early in my career. Not a lot of guys get to be put in this type of situation, but I have a long ways to go. I know I'm going into year seven but Tom did it until he was 45 years old. I'm 27. So I know there's a long way to go before I can even be put in that conversation. I just got to continue to work and get better year in and year out. If you come back to me in 10 years, I might be able to have a conversation a little bit better with you. This is classic Mahomes deflect, deflect, deflect. No, we'll talk about dynasty when it's over. Um, I, What's the conversation here? I mean, it, Does Mahomes have a chance to be the greatest ever? I mean, I I don't know. Like, no matter how you slice it, right, these two are going to be in the conversation one, two, three, four, however you slice it up, for a very long time.
0: Yeah, for me, it depends on how you frame it. Like, what's your criteria for the GOAT? Does Mahomes have to get seven or eight rings and pass them to be the GOAT? Or does he only have to get four or five and just – continue to be an MVP player for the next 10 to 15 years, because I think the style of play for Mahomes will help him in that argument. The fact that's why I don't think he has to get seven quote unquote, or eight to be the goat because his style of play, he does the ad-lib stuff, the off script plays that Tom Brady couldn't do, right? We know how good Tom Brady was in the pocket, but he's not out here throwing sidearm and yeah. look passes and on the run and making plays with his feet as well. So I do think that is an added advantage to the argument for Mahomes. I think he has to do more per se, because he can still do it with even a shaky offensive line because of his mobility. So, yeah, I mean, but you know, at the end of the day, people are going to count rings too. So, but for me, if Mahomes gets four or five and he still plays at a high level until his late thirties or maybe even early forties, he said he wants to play to 40 before I I think he will go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. I think he's already, like, the best. God, those are two different arguments. Like, as far as, like, just talent. Like, if I'm, like, at the park and I'm picking a quarterback who I think is a better player, I think Mahomes is a better player than Tom Brady. But When you talk about the GOAT, you have to incorporate accolades and rings and longevity and all of that. So those are two different discussions for me.
6: I think – one thing that really made this interesting and I really don't have much of a gauge or care for who the greatest conversation is that type of conversation is so subjective and everybody has their own criteria on what makes one guy better than the other and I think obviously Mahomes is on a path as he mentioned in the Sports Illustrated article to be in that conversation without argument and he continues to talk about Brady's mindset. I'll wrap with these quotes. If you want to finish this article for yourself, it is on sports illustrated and it's from Albert Breer. He talks about Brady's mindset and knowing the plans he says, or knowing what the defense is. in. he says, it just makes the game a lot easier when you can play and you know exactly what a defense is going to do. Every year I come back, I want to take the next step on the mental side of the game. This is a guy in the past who said he didn't even really know how to read defenses for a while going into the NFL He says that he wants to make more steps there. He says Brady always had an answer. There's sometimes, even to this day, you get in a coverage and you're like, I think, maybe, luckily for me, I've been able to scramble and make plays and always have an answer to make the game easier. So it sounds like not only is Mahomes motivated by the ring number, which I think everybody should be motivated by if you're a quarterback who's entering the National Football League. Of course, you want to win as many rings as possible. But Mahomes, even further, playing 3D chess a little bit, he wants to not only play the game at a high level, he wants to be able to know and dissect every part of the game to be able to, when he's even in his 40s, uh, not having tricks and know exactly what he needs to do and how to get it and how to win games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And It's, it's cool to see him kind of in this second phase of his career, if you will. The first phase was the Tyreek Hill era. Now we're in the second phase without Tyreek Hill. I think the third phase will probably be either without Kelsey or Andy Reid or both at the same time.